This is the Dreadful Podcast from TV Podcast Industries. We're talking about Penny Dreadful, City of Angels, Episode 3, Wicked Old World. We gotta get our piece of that American dream. That isn't for us. That's exactly for us. You take what you want, you make your way up, you use your brains, you use your nerve. No one's gonna give us anything, Rico. So we make them. First we make them look, then we make them scared. We are Pachuco. We are Chicano, we are Aztec, we are Spade, we are Wop, we are Dago, we are Chink, we are Queer, we are everything they fear, and we go out dancing. Easy now, mamita. You're gonna scare a baby boy. She's right. What does a Chicano have? His skin. Welcome back, fellow Penny Faithful. This is TV Podcast Industries. We're watching Penny Dreadful City of Angels, Episode 3, Wicked Old World. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow Dreadfuls and the Penny Faithful. Uh, welcome back. I am one of your other hosts, John. And rounding out this group of chicas, chicanos, um, gringos, <laughs> and everything else that Rio danced and stated in this episode, I am Chris. <laughs> well, we'll just say Irish people, really, aren't we? We're all, yeah, all we're, we're the pastiest of the pales. We are, yes. Really, like, it's tra- almost <laughs> translucent, if yeah, you will. Pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> like, we open the fridge, and I'm, I have to close it very quickly in case I get a tan. <laughs> <laughs> just in case. It's very important Very important to uh, mind your skin uh, when you're staying indoors, especially uh, and when, as an Irish person at the moment. Uh, but this week, I want to say a very happy anniversary to our co-host, Chris. Happy first wedding anniversary, Chris. Happened this weekend. It did. Last it year. did. Um, I did the, the the best I could do in uh, Corona times. Mm-hmm. We did nothing. It was amazing. <laughs> we actually had the perfect excuse to stay in and just do very little. Excellent. Uh, we went back to Peter Sellers, the original Pink Panther of 1963. Good because stuff. why not? So we're gonna we're now on to a shot in the dark. Uh, we also obviously watched Penny Dreadful mm-hmm. and topped it off with a bit of old Lego creations and a round of golf on everybody's golf on the PS4 Fantastic. because you need to do a bit of fun and games. And of course, my beautiful wife uh, did a very indoors, strange, but uh, crazily quite fun scavenger hunt in my own home. Fantastic Good. stuff. Um, so that burned a few hours. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. Yeah, I'm very happy anniversary. That was a fantastic wedding that uh, that you both had last year. Both Absolutely. myself and John uh, really enjoyed it. So uh, uh, hopefully we'll get to actually celebrate in person in uh, sometime in the future. I'm glad you had a good weekend, though. And uh, we got to have a, a nice Zoom call with Kelly and Chris uh, on Friday night, like everybody does uh, when we're in lockdown to, uh, to have a bit of fun together. I all got quite drunk uh, on Zoom, which was always fun, isn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. The hangover the next day. That was the painful part. <laughs> And just quickly, Chris, that means that Kelly really hid those uh, presents well if it took you hours to find them mm-hmm. in the scavenger hunt. Over 15 clues with multiple <laughs> it, 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 it was a tough one, I'm not going to lie. Some of them were very... Um, 
That they were head scratchers. Yeah, um, I was kind of proud. And, yeah, and yeah. considering you spent almost ten weeks in your house, that's uh, really impressive that she's been able to find places that you wouldn't be able to find stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well done, Kelly, and congratulations to her on the on your first anniversary as well. Um, Fellow Belly Faithful, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, make sure you go over to tvpodcastindustries.com. Uh, subscribe to us over there for all of our thoughts on Penny Dreadful City of Angels as we go through each of the episodes. Uh, make sure you email us your thoughts as well. You can email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. We record these podcasts on Monday, so we'd love to hear from you as we go through each of our episodes uh, throughout this season of Penny Dreadful City of Angels. Yeah, definitely. Uh, great getting the feedback in mm-hmm. uh, from the uh, community. It's really good to get your thoughts on, on these episodes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been really fun hearing uh, everybody else's thoughts on the show as it goes in. It's, you know, it's building up. We're three episodes into a 10-episode season, so there's uh, been some interesting stuff happened so far, but uh, lots more to come as the season goes on as well. And make sure also, we, we do need to say this up front, make sure you stay tuned uh, throughout the podcast because John will be doing his uh, pub quiz as well for all of us towards the end of this episode. So uh, Yes, the yeah. dreadful pub quiz. Yes. Exactly. Hopefully, dreadful by name, dreadful by nature. Exactly. <laughs> hopefully, a pretty good pub quiz, uh, and hopefully, we'll get some goodies uh, for Petty Dreadful to uh, to send out to whoever gives us the most correct answers in that pub quiz. Yes, a, a pint of blood, maybe, or <laughs> a, a a skull, or something like that. Something uh, weird a and zoot wonderful, suit, if you will. A zoot suit, maybe. They're very expensive, Chris. They're very expensive. They're not a zoot suit. <laughs> <laughs> we, we could get one of the um, tattoos, like the tattoo that was put onto Matteo's yeah. uh, hand. Or maybe a transfer would be Maybe better. a transfer of that. Yes, exactly. Exactly. We wrap it up in a packet of cereal, like <laughs> like we used to get. Did we used to get tattoos and cereal? I remember we chewing gum. Got transfers. Really? Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Well, let's get into this episode of Betty Dreadful. City of Angels, episode three, Wicked Old World, was directed by Sergio Mimica Gazan, a director of many TV shows of the years, including Fallen Skies and Battlestar Galactica. But before that, he was a first assistant director for Steven Spielberg on loads of his films, including Saving Private Ryan, Schindler's List and Minority Report. Cool experience to come from uh, come from movies like that and do many TV shows that we've loved as well. Yeah, absolutely. That must have been why the the Nazi scene seems so good with uh, her Goss and mm-hmm. uh, Gestapo Kurt. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's actually very true. Yeah, good uh, good catch there, John. Uh, episode was written, of course, by John Logan. Uh, once again, the showrunner for the show. I'm not going to have to mention that very often, am I? I know there's some other episodes written by other people, but I'm not going to have to mention that he's the showrunner. Everybody knows that by now, right? We we hope. (laughs) We hope so. We hope so. John, do you want to tell us the summary for this episode of Penny Dreadful City of Angels? Sure. Tiago and Molly visit Santa Monica Pier in an effort to escape their complicated lives. Livid at the murder of his friends, Detective Lewis Michener interrogates Brian Koenig, a young Caltech student. Meanwhile, Councillor Townsend and Alex's political agenda is jeopardised when Councilwoman Beverly Beck vows to fight them all the way. Elsewhere, Dr. Peter Kraft discovers a dark truth when he visits Elsa at home. Matteo visits the Crimson Cat dance hall and is invited into a seductive, dangerous new world. That new world is so seductive that I want to be involved in it. I totally want to go down to the Crimson Cat and go for a dance. That looked amazing. It looks cool, doesn't it, actually? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. You can imagine, you know, that is the, the sort of big club 
of that era mm. or or it's even it it's kind of what um rave was to the 80s or nineties. Uh, on, yeah. on, on, no, but like that the start of Rave mm -hmm. in the 80s with like the Hacienda where it's kind of like it, it it's really on the edge of society. Sure. In this case it's it you know, the this kind of music and the inhibition, mm -hmm. you know. I, I'd much prefer to be uh, at the Crimson Cat than in that stuffy restaurant that uh, her Goss and Townsend were. Yeah, true. Although Chateaubriand is always quite nice. <laughs> a, nice a nice glass of wine with your dinner, definitely. <laughs> Will we get into our big moments for this episode, guys? Ready to go. Uh, John, do you want to kick us off first with your big moment from the episode you want to talk about? Yeah, I suppose um, it is Michener at the morgue. Nathan Lane here really just... Uh, blew my mind um i i've always liked his comedy stuff like mm -hmm. in modern family like in birdcage and i know that he's done more serious stuff on broadway but alas um i haven't been able to see that uh quite so much mm -hmm. um and here i think that success that he's had on broadway bringing it to uh the tv screen i, I just thought it he was so so good in capturing that emotion of grieving for both Anton and Sam, who were shot by Gestapo Kurt mm -hmm. in, uh, uh, in the previous episode. Uh, and, you know, following up on his friends, that a great kind of world weariness uh, about him, both in terms of just trying to persuade the doctor in the morgue to just, like, hold back on his report. And um, as he kind of goes... Um, off track uh, to investigate uh, his friend's um, disappearance and murder effectively yeah. uh, off the books, you know, yeah. in, in that sense, uh, not as not really as part of the LAPD. Mm -hmm. You're um, totally right there. That that moment with Nathan Lane where he's in the in the stairwell after taking the the bullets uh, and just breaks down and, and speaking Hebrew about the loss of his of his compatriots, his friends, is really, really just such a powerful moment right at the opening of the episode after seeing the burnt bodies of them from the car. It's just a, a really good moment to start off the episode. Yeah, I definitely. Yeah. I think um I think as well it's it's also probably the fact that he knows who it is and he knows he can't just bring them to justice mm -hmm. in, in that way. Yeah. Because I suspect maybe they have diplomatic immunity with um, her Goss uh, and Gestapo Kurt being part of the German uh, embassy there mm -hmm. in LA or, sure. um, you know, so he, the thing is, this is the, the thing that really must be tearing him up. And I think Nathan Lane caught that so well. Mm -hmm. And, and the world weariness, you know, as he kidnaps and threatens the young kid uh, from Caltech, uh, Brian Koenig, um, mm -hmm. just, you know, he uh, basically threatening him that he, he's going to chuck him down into the deep ravine where the coyotes will, will get to him. And, and Brian Koenig is, well, that would be the best thing that's happened to me this week. And it, it kind of is reflected back by, um, by Michener here. And the, that world weariness where, um, he, he just talks about, you know, having a bad week as well for, for a Jew that's saying something and yeah. um, yeah. really capturing that, um, time period as well were mm -hmm. you know jewish people were very much being threatened just as much uh, as the chicanos uh, and the black communities mm -hmm. in, in in america as well as in europe so yeah. i think um i thought that was really good Absolutely. I, and it answers the question that we had last week when we saw the camera uh, just focusing on brian koenig inside uh, caltech 
um, where we just didn't know what his reaction was after coming back from his meeting with the with the Germans. Here he tells us that you know he'd rather die than work with them, kind of thing. So, but they have some pressure on him. They have some something that they're forcing him to work work on. So it's a very short scene with him, but at least we got that answer that he's not willingly doing what he's doing or whatever it is that he's doing. Do you feel it was cut too short? Literally, right the the ending of that scene, mm. I just feel there was like a, an extra sixty seconds of dialogue uh-huh. that should have been included. That because the next time we see Michener, he's in he's in yeah. the pub mm-hmm. with Tiago. I know who Werner von Braun is. Yes, Werner Braun. Yeah, but I'm curious. Like, not a lot of people would. Mm. Um, I, I'm literally a nerd, so I know about rockets and yeah. space and things yeah. like that. And I also know his his relationship to World War Two Nazis and then the US Absolutely. because of Operation Paperclip and yeah. things like that. And this is what we're, we're we should really say it because, as you say, not everybody's going to know who Werner von Braun is. Um, so we should we should really obviously say it because I think they they did that for tension is the reason why you don't get another ten seconds or five or fifteen seconds or sixty seconds of that discussion between the two of them. They want that held over until next week so that we do find out what. Koenig's doing um but if you do know who Werner von Braun is that scene has a lot of meaning to it doesn't it I, I think so I, I I think um I'm I'm slightly with Chris here in in the sense that I was expecting there to be kind of a reflection scene a bit later on in the episode where mm. maybe he is talking with um with Brian Koenig uh, about that or relaying it to someone but mm-hmm. I, that's difficult for him because of the position he's in in that this is totally off the LAPD books he shouldn't be doing what he's doing to Brian that's right um and it, it's being held over to the next episode i i think um they've done this already I, I think with the um you know the scene in in the last episode with uh, fly rico and you kind of thought we were going to see mateo going to crimson cat i suppose mm. then and a bit more delving into that world but they they held it over to this episode so they seem to be doing a lot of that where they're holding things off mm-hmm. rather than maybe being quite as immersive around that that aspect of this episode so yeah i suspect we'll see something um in, in the next few episodes mm-hmm. i mean to the point i suspect brian hasn't been killed by um Michener because he leaves him with will educate me yeah um, and he he does seem to kind of maybe pull back from his his interrogation and his violence because i mean oh my goodness did i feel like his teeth got smashed um with the boot yeah. it really i felt that the sound there was of some kind of crunch it, mm-hmm. it, it was almost as bad as um the american history x uh, with curb stomp. with the curb stomp, mm. um, it, it really made me cringe. So I'm just kind of wondering: has Brian told him everything, and yet maybe Lewis has just thrown him into that ravine anyway? <laughs> uh, I, I doubt it, but I just wonder whether he has. But he says to Lewis, he says, "Do you know what's going on in Germany at the moment?" And again, another great world weariness aspect. You know, it's like, are you kidding? I think he's playing it really well. Uh, is Nathan Lane here? Um, and he, Brian talks about the work at then of Dr. Werner von Braun. Mm. Um, and as you say, Chris, um, 
the the rocket technology for the V1 V2 rockets um sort of developed by him and uh using um Jewish labor forced Jewish labor in, in effectively a concentration camp that made these rockets yeah. um and uh, I I like your your phrase from Nazi to NASA because effectively uh yeah he helped develop NASA's uh rocket technology mm-hmm. um, and and what was it set up the the rocket schools or he was yeah. Yeah, he was effectively forgiven for his part in in the war and yeah. brought to america so that they could complete their space race which was massively important to them i think he brought over in about 1957 it was about 10 years 15 years after the war um that he was brought over to the u.s um, he, there was when he was officially that's he he, exactly. he came across uh, as a part of uh, Operation Paperclip, where mm-hmm. the U.S. Army uh, and uh, their intelligence services took a number of rocket scientists and scientists yeah. uh, secretly through Europe to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, under fake aliases and things like that. Yeah. Uh, he'd actually later go on to um, be in Disney, um, a Disney movie. Yes, uh, with right. uh, about the 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 potential of man and space and mm-hmm. um he so bringing it back to penny dreadful mm-hmm. i think it's a brilliant thing to again grounding it very much in alt history at this po- history at this point mm-hmm. potentially alt history depending on where they go with a lot of this yeah they may bring this on back further later like mm-hmm. you said next episode they may do a kind of more of an explanation yeah i just feel in order to land that scene with further graphics, because I'm not taking away Nathan Lane's performance, the 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 sound of the the teeth, mm-hmm. the everything was fantastic. I just feel they they should have drove the point home by going. Do you know who Vernon Brown is? Educate me. Mm-hmm. Do you know what a rocket is? Yeah, yeah. That that exactly. though literally that then elevates it. Elevates the stakes mm-hmm. a bit further in the plot line. Yeah. Because again, I know we're three into 10. So mm-hmm. we've still got seven episodes. Yeah. It's just because after this, we, the next time we see Michener, he's the world weariness is setting in further, mm-hmm. but we don't know why. And I feel that's the, the, the missing link. Uh, because even the, the even the the final final scene with Michener, where he's in his his uh, detective room, mm-hmm. his well his bedroom, um, <laughs> you even if they had have had a news a new news clipping or something being right. placed just to give it that more, gra- I use gravitas a lot mm-hmm. when we're talking about this particular show uh-huh. because I think that's one of the things I think is missing in some of it. And I'll kind of talk about more when I get to my piece. Yeah. But I just feel it, it just, it was amazing. And I, I can't, I can't enough. Like just that scene, as you said, when he comes out of the morgue mm-hmm. was yeah, just so beautiful. Good. So good. Definitely. Absolutely. I, I think, I think what I, for me, the world weariness is more that he's almost like an, a New York cop, but in LA right. in that sense. Um, and also then, his um jewish heritage and the the time in which he's living then it it is um it, it's hearing you know his colleagues talking about mexicans and so on and probably missing him out but knowing that behind him they may speak as derogatory about the the jews mm-hmm. as they do about mexicans and it's it, to me that's where he's coming from it's not necessarily 
what he's going through. He already was in that world on episode one and it, it it's the it's the contradictions and I I suppose that snidiness of the world that he's living in. But for him it's it's more than snidiness. It's being um anti-Jewish effectively. Yeah, discrimination so, that he's feeling. Um, and I yeah. think uh I, I think for me as well I originally I thought with Brian Koenig I thought this would be something to do with um nuclear physics mm-hmm. um i thought it was going to be around that as opposed to um the rocket rocket physics mm-hmm. uh, and rocket technology i, I thought it was and, until they mentioned about uh Werner von braun uh, i thought it was going to be about you know like the the germans tried to develop heavy water in in norway i think the film heroes of telemark is the kind of plan to blow that up okay. uh, so I, I thought it was going to be about the nuclear race um kind of fitting in yeah. to the idea of magda saying to santa Marta at the start um you know watch when she sets a light to the crops what i'll make this world burn mm-hmm. and you know, i was kind of thinking with brian koenig that the heat of a nuclear explosion and and that development or of, of that um of nuclear weapons um, from the physics labs, but it, it's rocket technology, so it still could be linked in with that yeah, to absolutely. to fire off um, a nuclear rocket, I suppose. Um, but yeah, it, it's interesting um, mm-hmm. to see how that goes. I think related to this is the the meeting with um, her Goss and and Townsend. They have this huge confrontation where um, Townsend's trying to assert his authority. You know, don't forget who's um running this show oh, yeah. um and yeah her goss uh in just the put down you know he's talking about uh, he's a, a body full of guts that he's just using he's simian uh he's a monkey um and don't you forget you know let me just be clear here you're thinking about becoming mayor um I speak for Adolf Hitler and for the next thousand years. Mm-hmm. Um, either you are by our side or under our boot. Um, I think Such a great line, a great line yeah. uh, which probably only a Nazi uh, could say um, with such kind of authority, Absolutely. but it really lends itself to that. Um, did he, just one other thing, did he miss what Councilman Townsend was saying to him? Is that why he goes down the route of the Simeon, uh, his Simeon plans? Because what he says to him is he says, um, why don't you use your flying monkey about Kurt? And flying monkeys are well known as the Wizard of Oz, the witch, Wicked Witch of the West. Her uh, minions are called the flying monkeys. And I'm wondering whether... Goss just thought he was he he didn't understand the monkey plan, and that's why he keeps calling him a simian from then on because he maybe hasn't seen Wizard of Oz. He's probably not in Hollywood <laughs> to see movies. You know? Yeah, maybe. Um, I, I think. Um, yeah, it, it 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 could be. I suppose even for Goss, it, it's you can sense they want to be under the radar, don't mm-hmm. you? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, the he talks about the audacity of. Um, the bloody shirt and the memorial highway uh, and even with then asking them to effectively kill councilwoman beck mm-hmm. um, and it's all too much focus on him and this is not what her goss wants um he you know the the, the company he's running is called via formosa it, it's a mexico it's spanish yeah. um um 
for beautiful rose and um it, it's all kind of undercover it's not say he wouldn't kill her if but only if need be you know not to draw unwanted uh, attention and um, which it kind of connects nicely as well with the fact that alex gives him that warning because of the the splash that he's made with all the headlines around that bloody shirt and and the uh, the the wife or the bereaved uh, widow now coming in uh, to that press conference um, and she says you've got to be careful uh, because you're now in the public eye um, you've you've got to really mind yourself mm-hmm. and of course we don't realize what that fully means it's it's not just simply um, in terms of these meetings probably with Goss and Kurt. But it is also the fact that we do see Townsend heading for a bit of cottaging um, in uh, somewhere in the the parks of of LA. Yeah, and um, you <laughs> I know, had to, I, John had to tell me about that term meant earlier on today. I had no uh, no memory of the term. I never never heard it uh, mentioned that way. <laughs> well, originally it was I I kind of said dogging, uh, but that is public yeah. displays of affection. It's almost like being an extrovert, and whereas at the time it was illegal. For uh, was so cottaging is more gay sex in public toilets right. or around public toilets. Yeah. So cottaging um, is George Michael in the mid nineties, and exactly, uh, and dogging is George Michael after Let's Go Outside. The, <laughs> Probably, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so that yes, fellow Penny faithful, your <laughs> your quick guide to um, sexual activities uh, outside. Um, <laughs> but Alex knows as well. She knows that that's the activities that she's warning him away from. Right? She's not. She's not actually warning him away from eating too many potatoes with dinner. When she says you need to calm down your activities, you may need to not give them any ammunition. She looks at him over, over her glasses, kind of going. I know exactly what you will do, and you're not allowed to do it now because the press will be all over you if you do, right? Absolutely. I thought that was just so funny because, sorry, not funny, haha. Just where they were going with that, I was not expecting. Right. Like, her, you need to be good, her, her piece there, I was like, okay, was it alcohol? Oh, no, drugs. They're going to go down the drugs route. Right. Okay, that's cool that could be interesting Mm -hmm. like him being the alcoholic or the drug taker or something like that and now they're going for the a completely different way was not expecting what that i up until the point where he he was like went around the back i'm like okay it's a drug deal maybe right he's gone to get some he's gone to get some cocaine or marijuana or like who Uh, knows the pretty boys were a giveaway yeah they they were but i was like (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I was just even the roles of that was interesting. It was a reversal on what again what I was expecting. Okay, I was expecting him to be potentially the recipient, recipient, and he's the I I, I don't know what the best way it's been used before where it's like he doesn't think he is um, gay because he's receiving right. blah, blah, blah. Nope. Well, he is, he has to fight it, blah, blah, blah. I, again, sorry, that sounds very terrible, but <laughs> I just thought that's where they were going with it. Right. And then it was just, again, a complete shock on that. I was like, okay, this is a complete veer away from what I was expecting. Right. This would be and quite. This would be quite likely, wouldn't it? In a, in a situation where he's a very powerful man in the city, the, it's a power play to, uh, to not be the one in control, I suppose, if you want to. 
say it that way, uh, trying to mind our P's and Q's, as uh, as Alex had told us to. Um, but that's basically, yeah, it would be something that would be quite likely with uh, with a character like that who's who's going through these whole things of being at a high level in, in office and uh, putting up against the the um, minions of Hitler, as they even call themselves, and kind of being a bit perilous. So going out and, and doing what he's doing is probably quite a big play for him to do. Uh, but it does explain one of the things we discussed back in episode one as to why this particular persona of Natalie Dormer's Magda, um, the character of, of uh, Alex, doesn't use a beautiful visage in front of uh, of him because it's not necessary it's not something that he would need i suppose is kind of the the way that she has chosen this we thought it might be because he's a flanderer maybe or something like that i think you were talking yeah. about that chris um whereas it actually looks like well a beautiful woman wouldn't be the way to get into his heart it's it, the way to get into his mind and get and get whispering in his ear is to be a strong woman who can guide him in the right direction yeah yeah I think so. I think the other thing as well is that um, it's it's very much like Gods and Monsters ilk and Hollywood on Netflix at the moment. And while still illegal, I think as well there is a forging of, I suppose, a different way of, of doing um, this this undercover. I mean, certainly um, within Hollywood, um, the the Netflix show, you, you've got the gas station and and the you know the the keyword saying "Take me to Dreamland," and mm-hmm. um, so all all this kind of stuff. Um, and I think um, it's all going along a, a lot of the time. And again, it's another callback to the original Penny Dreadful. There was a lot of things going on behind the scenes of Victorian England that were shown. Above yeah, the surface of exactly. Paddy Dreadful, the original, and what we're seeing here in, in this version of Paddy Dreadful is similar things are happening. People may think everybody's an upstanding citizen, but just below the surf- surface, there's loads of things going on they wouldn't want you to know that are being hidden from the press so the public don't get to know about Yeah, and, and that aren't necessarily enforced. And I, I think to your point as well, Chris, I think I think uh, T- Townsend is, um, is weak, and so I'm not sure he... I think... Him te- kneeling um, for his, his um, I suppose, his, his gay uh, romance at, at, at the public toilets. Mm. Maybe he doesn't feel dominant. You know, you, if you think Alex uh, is is strong, her goss is strong. He tries to project that, but ultimately, um, he, you know, I think it's symbolic. I'm not saying that. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a symbolic sort of look at at Townsend uh, here, mm-hmm. and um, you know, in the sense he's he's he feels challenged by Councilwoman Beck, and so immediately thinks about assassinating her, which even the Nazis go, uh-uh. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and she calls him out as well immediately as a piss pot fascist, and um, that she will has taken many down before, and she'll take him down. So I think generally he is an insecure. Oh, yeah. guy who's dangerous because he he will lash out like he does with trying to get um uh councilwoman beck uh killed uh and i i think sort of the frustration then of alex and turning into magda uh coming out of that uh hotel or restaurant where they've had the the meal with um gestapo kurt uh, and her goss then <laughs> it's it, it speaks to her frustration i think the one thing i want to know is is Magda lethal? You know, will she kill these guys that he's gone to meet at the end of the episode to to kill them so that he doesn't uh, blow 
open um, and expose himself to that intense scrutiny about being a, a gay man in a uh-huh. time where it's illegal. Um, will she do that? Because that's the one thing I'm still not sure, or is just the violence and the war, that's what she's leading to. But will she act violently to make sure that that happens? Yeah. So I'm half yeah. expecting we either have a lot of dead gay men um, in, in future episodes, potentially, that Townsend has come in contact with right or one of those men will effectively identify him because of his mm-hmm. higher profile and so um you know he's in a precarious position i suppose is what i'm saying let alone the fact that he's meeting nazis which should be the thing that makes it precarious <laughs> um you know yeah yeah absolutely that was a fascinating idea there that you have alex kind of losing losing her control and turning back into Magda. I thought the scene was fantastic just as she walks behind the car. And then as she walks back out, every piece of glass around her is just exploding. I think it's really cool, but I absolutely um, have the same question as you, John. Does this lead to Magda now taking action against some other people to protect this really powerful asset that she has in the, uh, in her battle to get to this war started, I suppose. So uh, it's intriguing to see. So speaking of a war, Derek, do you want to take us on to your points? Okay. Because I think there's a th- there's a, a couple of overlaps here mm-hmm. between the themes we've discussed, and especially ending on the potential war. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, my big point for the episode uh, is Mateo and the Pachucas. Um, I think these scenes in this episode are fantastic. I've really wanted to see what see this happen because we saw Fly Rico last episode, and he did come across really cool. And the episode opens here with Mateo telling his older brother about how cool this guy, the Pachuca, was. You know, he arrives in with this what does he say, two foot long switchblade and. And the cops went running the minute he opened it up. You know, you can tell this this admiration coming from Matteo and how excited he is that he's eventually going to get down to the Pachuca Club uh, and see them all. And I have to say, this is so well put together. The set design, the dancing that's going oh, on. Yeah. It's just, it, it is a new world. It's something that I've not seen um before i've not i've not been in a club like that that's a good good example that you've given john of of rave clubs your first time going to one in the in the 80s or 90s you know that that moment when you walk in the door and see this brand new world opened up to you which is exactly what mateo's experience and i think how the two of them connect across the dance floor it's a massively wonderfully choreographed scene as well i'm not sure it's as well choreographed in real life of course but it really does show off what this whole movement is it's all about this as you say in uninhibited dancing of everybody in the room and as as everybody kind of parts and reveals um fly rico coming in and just owning that stage in front of everybody and then bringing mateo into their world literally uh you see their eyes meet across the room it's there's either some kind of sexual tension between the two of them or Matteo is just going, I want to be that guy. Yeah, That's absolutely. I want to be like, I love the little touch, the tiny little costume touch, but I noticed it the second time I watched the episode. Did you notice this, that Matteo's actually dressed up looking like his older brother, Tiago going in his big night out. He's wearing a crappy beige jacket over a, over a light blue shirt and his hair is all slicked back exactly like Diego's uniform that he saw him wear the day before and it's like I'm just like my older brother I get to go out and experience society yeah exactly and the minute he gets there and has the conversation with Fly Rico he looks at him and goes you need to sort out that hair man you know <laughs> yeah. it was exactly the same jacket that I, I noticed it because I went isn't that 
what Tiago was wearing when he walked <laughs> yeah, to talk to his mama. Yeah. And I was like, oh, it's like they, they had one good jacket. That, that like, you had yeah. one, like, the mum probably bought, like, three of them mm-hmm. for the three brothers. It was the same jacket, different sizes, or it, same jacket, and it passed down yeah, multiple yeah. times. Yeah, absolutely. I just, I just love the idea of him putting on the costume of his older brother to go out in, in his first real time in, out in the world. Um, but Because his older brother is cool, exactly. and therefore, if I go out like him, I'll be cool. Except, yeah, he ain't. But certainly when you compare... Well, he's very cool... He can certainly, he's got, certainly got the dance moves, but like when you compare the, what all the other people are wearing, like mm-hmm. the different colors, is it a lot more open, uh, for the chests and, and so on? It's or you've got the yeah. women in, in their pants as well. And, uh-huh. um, you know, the suspenders, it, yeah, it's really, dance. really cool. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed, uh, Rico, uh, coming onto the dance floor and effectively soaking everyone in, in sweat, I presume, <laughs> or, or, or hair oil. And I was <laughs> just thought that was like he didn't give a crap about that he just he was flat flinging it everywhere mm-hmm. and uh, i thought that's what i'm probably gonna look like uh after the lockdown with my hair being so long it'll just like <laughs> i'll wash it and i can sort of do that whole shake thing like uh sort of a pooch but uh i, I thought that was just really good uh-huh. um I, and i, I think yeah, it was just so vibrant and cool. I, I really, really loved it. It was, yeah. The choreography was done by uh, Tommy Tong, who's an Irish choreographer. He did the original series of Penny Dreadful. We watched every episode of that, as we've mentioned before, and one of the biggest moments that happened in that series had a massive 1800s ball, effectively, and they talked about everybody going to balls all the way throughout the series and then did one big one where there are a load of dancers dancing in periods and yeah. uh, period dance effectively all choreographed by Tommy Tong. So to have him brought over to America to do this choreography for this massive Pachuco moment, this moment when you're getting revealed or, or the culture is being revealed for you. It was just a, a really cool touch. I think um, he did say that he modernized some of the dancing and mixed in some Cuban dancing and some other types of Spanish dancing um, into the what would be traditional Pachuca dancing so that it would feel like a place that everybody would want to go for a dance, basically. Oh, everybody watching. Definitely. It. And it, there's just such a great freeing moment. I love I love dance. Uh, it's one of, one of the things I love watching, really, as well as if I ever ever get out to a, a bar again, I will dance, I promise. Um, but I love that moment when uh, Rio is introduced, this other version of Natalie Dormer, uh, is introduced to Matteo, and the first thing she wants to do is to see whether she can trust this guy is to get him on the dance floor and see see his moves. Um, also, I suppose you got to think about it, Matteo does work in the record store, so he's probably been around music quite a lot. He's got these moves because he's probably quite into that whole scene. So uh, so I thought it was quite a quite a useful introduction between the two characters, and I, it, it was just wonderful. I really loved uh, that whole sequence. It's uh, It was so good to watch. Okay, so <laughs> for me, this felt slightly high school musical. Okay. Um, like it just—it oh, took dear. me left. Of, I know. I'm sorry. It took me so left of field. I was not expecting a musical dance number. Why? Literally, if if Fly Rico had jumped up on the stage beside the dance beside the band and grabbed the guitar and did a, a kind of jaunt across, or I understand why they were trying. They're trying to introduce you to the Pachucos. Mm-hmm. And I get that, the zoot suits and things. It just felt so long. 
And I think that was because you had the fly Rico scene mm-hmm. and then you had the Rio scene. And you literally had these two right beside it. And the only, it, it felt so out of place to me is because it was so choreographed. And I don't mean this in a bad way. And like I did it, it was, it was good. It just literally felt like something out of Disney because oh, everyone, no, and the, the reason I say this is just oh, because everyone started dancing like very sim- similar styles mm-hmm. and like literally yeah, in beat and in time and everything like that. Like doing the Macarena or raving. Like you do it in time, it and it's not all yes, the same. Yes, you do it in time, but it's all the same. They were all dancing literally the same dance, uh, but it like, is more it formal looked, as well. Remember, I suppose. Like if you think of dance, it would have come. So if you were thinking of the Penny Dreadful Blood Ball, which is very formal, where people have certain moves and certain Latino dance as well, and even the tango, which is is very central. I mean, you know, was too much for sort of stiff white Europeans. Um, but there's still a, uh, a movement to it. Mm-hmm. it and so I, I think, you know, um, yeah, e- even jive and all that kind of stuff that, that it's, and, and that's how it distinguishes you. Um, in the same way as you didn't have that for punk, because that was the whole point that it yeah, distinguished absolutely. them from that. So I think, I, I think the fact that they were all doing it the same like if you see the waltz uh, on new year's eve in austria mm-hmm. it's like saying oh but they're doing all the same because that's the whole kind of thing of the, the music mm-hmm. but it's slightly freer and people are doing okay. different things so like you had the three ladies in, in their waistcoats just kind of kicking out their legs whereas then other people being flung over and mm-hmm. um, yeah. so and and in different ways, some rolling across the back and others doing it from the shoulder. Oh, I love that um, move where the where but, the lady, where the lady's yeah. spinning six times with a hand over her head as she's spinning, and some some cool stuff. I think some really good examples of this, I suppose, are are you know Saturday Night Fever with uh, from the seventies with John Travolta, where yeah. the whole scene is everybody is practicing at home all week for that Saturday night where they go out. There, this isn't just they go out and they hear a song and they go and they go and dance to it. This is everybody has been getting themselves all geared up to go out and show off their new moves to that group of people. And maybe, maybe they might be able to be as good as Fly Rico, who owns this bar, basically. Or Rio, who clearly is, uh, the two of them are the ones that are the best dancers in the club and lead this group of Pajucos, effectively. Uh, but it does, it doesn't end there. It's not just the dance scene. It does all get interrupted when uh, Officer Riley once again rears his horrible, ugly head uh, into the club <laughs> um, to ruin their night. Bringing the Irish heritage down Every episode know, so far. And then I'm using my least favorite American phrase, the paddy wagon, which is, uh, which is so, I hate that phrase. It's just, it's something that always annoys me. It's the, it's the wagon that the police use, used to use yeah. to carry Irish people who were drunken, uh, and has now become, uh, synonymous with where, where they take people that they want to arrest. But he brings in this idea that they've, that they've put the Pachucos or all Mexicans, uh, under some form of lockdown, all under some form of curfew. And I'm not too sure whether he's even telling the truth there. He goes, as of about 10 minutes ago, the lockdown has happened have you not heard you're off down to the station basically and i'm not sure whether that's even real because he says it's 10 minutes ago so would they really dispatch police that quickly or do they just want to shut down the club because the kids are having fun yeah i I, i'd say that this is going to be a a plot point of the next one because it's backlash for 
the episode, the end of episode one. Mm-hmm. So any Latino is not allowed out after curfew and the curfew set as X a time. Yeah. And I'd say that's probably what we're going to see that this additional, it's going to be the Pachucos and Mateo versus this curfew, this um, lockdown mm-hmm. uh, against them, against the, the Mexicanis, the, the Chicas, the Latinas, the Latinos, uh, everything Rio says. Because mm-hmm. she goes through a laundry list of, of who they are. Everybody who wants America to be straight, white, Christian, effectively. That's, yes. That's yeah, the wasps, effectively. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. But did you notice in the, in the ensuing fight, I suppose, between the two sides here, it is Rio that throws the first punch. So yep. I've had a nice little touch because we've seen um, Magda whisper in everybody's ears. We've seen both Alex and Elsa just manipulate people by talking to them. And here we have Rio actually throwing the first punch that starts the riot in, in the room. I thought that was a that's a that's a different character, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And then laughs her way out the door as she brings Mateo and uh, and Fly Rico with her outside. So. Yeah, it's it's interesting because um, yeah, it's it's followed up very quickly by Rico, um, so they can kind of make their escape. Uh, I think the thing interesting thing with um, Officer Riley, and I have no idea whether it's just my kind of working theory on it, is that. Um, you know, in the same way that traditionally the the cars are known as paddy wagons because it was always associated that it was um the Irish gangland sort of in you know Chicago or whatever mm. being put into them. That you know, there's that famous um black and white picture. That idea that first generation Irish moving to America were treated in the same way that now the Pachicos are. And it's this almost, is is it some kind of deflection? So it's Mm -hmm. like, well, they're no longer at all. And we, you know, we've gradually made our ways into that kind of middle class area of of the police law um, and uh, fire. And, you know, in a, Tiago is this first generation where he has made it into the police, but mm-hmm. it's almost like a deflection. Um, so that there, that's why there's this beat down. I mean, I have no, I don't really know about the psychology of this, but it's something that is that why he's doing it. Um, it's, it's the argument that we fought our way to get all of these rights and. If somebody else gets those rights, then we somehow lose ours. That's that's the kind of argument that would have come from the, I guess, second generation Irish immigrants. Our parents fought for our rights to be here, and nobody else has taken yeah, those ex- away from us. Yeah. Kind of the attitude, yeah, yeah. Uh, but we that does lead to we, we played the clip at the start of Rio's kind of pushing towards this idea of the of the Pachucos standing up for their rights and getting the American dream, um, moving together as a group to fight the system and take back Mexico as uh, as she points out 90 years before this particular location was part yeah, of Mexico yeah. now it's now it's part of LA and part of uh, of the United States of America effectively so um so this is her idea that she's working with the Pachucos working with Fly Rico to try and uh, incite them to take up arms against uh, against the establishment effectively yeah. so that's the other side of this and now she's got one of the vegas involved so uh, this is the first one of the vegas other than that quick moment was in the era of role that kicked off the uh the battle around the bridge and got a couple of, of police officers killed and a number of mexicans killed this is another member of the vega family that she's possibly got uh got the ability to talk to and, and convinced to uh to work on her side yeah i mean it, i think 
you know, Matteo and her have got, you know, um, the same ideas. I mean, he's totally, it's, it's Rico here that, that's almost trying to dissuade her. Uh, how, how can you do what you're saying we should do? Um, and it, it, it's interesting going back to the starters with Matteo and Raul. Um, just because, you know, Matteo talks about slitting his own brother's throat, mm. um, at one point. Um, you know, and is tempered by Raul saying he's not one of us. He he's not one of them either. I I wouldn't want to be in Tiago's shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, he's kind of in no man's land. Um, and Matteo is absolutely aligned here. Um, you know, this call to arms that that Rio is doing that he wants to be a part of that. Um, and it, it's almost Fly Rico because potentially he has something to lose because of how he's worked his way up. Who's trying to just temper what they do. It's not to say that he won't do it, yeah. but it, 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 he's a little bit more kind of um, like chill the jets people. Mm-hmm. Let's take <laughs> this one step at a time. Yeah, absolutely. So moving on from the high school musical, uh, no joke site. It was a good scene. I just, I, it just, Felt out of place to me. Mm. It's fine. It, we're we're going to have to completely disagree, Chris. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, moving on. This part of it really started getting interesting to me because what you do have here then is the youth movement. And it's this kind of, I was always trying to figure out where, how they were going to do the whole kind, this whole other element to it, mm-hmm. um, of the brother versus brother, nation versus nation, race versus race. Mm-hmm. I was always trying to figure out the race part mm-hmm. because I was like, with the zombie being back, we'll talk. We have to talk about that later. <laughs> Raul one of zombie. us do. Okay. The, the zombie, oh, um, definitely. The the freeway bulldozing wasn't going to cause as much of a race versus race issue. Mm. Um, this probably does because you had the more temperamental, the more tempered grandparents probably stopping a lot of this. Uh, whereas the temperamental Pachucos, that's where you can really inflame the, 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 the race. Mm-hmm. And it's them versus the police. Yeah, because it's a community all of their own, of their own age group of, of people just like them. And, and Rio's stuck herself right in the center of it, effectively. Yeah. Now, I do know from history, the Zoot Suit riots are, are, are kind of a famous moment when uh, kids who wore Zoot, zoot Suits, the Pachucos, did get attacked and did attack back. And there were massive riots that happened in LA at the time that happened in about 1942, 1943. So I think that's a, that's a couple of years. Uh, so if this show goes on for four or five seasons, we may get to the Zoot Suit Riots or there may be a time jump at some point in uh, one of the seasons to catch up to the war and catch up to, uh, to the Zoot Suit kids. But, um, what I thought was interesting about that part of the reason it happened was that, uh, specifically laws were made to outlaw them making those suits after wartime because the cost that's involved in the actual making of those uh, of the uniforms that they wear, the zoot suits that they wear, was considered to be wasteful when everybody else was tightening their belts across uh, across America. But it was specifically seen by Mexicans as being a a targeted law against Mexican culture. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, uh, I I, that was fascinating. That's where that's what was the kickoff for the zoot suit rights. Yeah. I mean, I I think for me, um, I, I just saw it as race versus race. I think the difference here is it's it's different expressions of that. Mm. 
Matteo is from the younger generation. He he's coming at it almost from his cultural side of things around his skin. So he, like, and so is Raúl, but he's he's doing it with organized labor. It, it's that it's that mm-hmm. different. It, it's it's the different approaches because like Raúl makes that point. He says, "Where were the Pachicos when we were stood uh, facing down the cops?" Um, and even Rico is like saying, you know, work is, is for saps. Um, you know, and one of the Pachico's fathers went to help out there and got bullets in, in his ass. It, so mm-hmm. there's, it's a different generational expression of what they're feeling. Um, and I think in the same way for Mateo, it's his individual culture. Raul, it's, the destruction or or the sep- division of the community and that's the expression mm-hmm. it's the expression of the racism towards the mexicans and how they're taking it up and pharrell he he's that he's that guy at the cannery he he organizes the workers he's coming at it from that yeah. it's the community it's the jobs and so on Matteo is young he's got a completely different perspective on life what well, he's third generation it, and he's can he he wants the modern thing yeah. you know that that conversation between him and Raul on the bed you know you see that Raul that's just not for him mm-hmm. it would be like my grand going to the rave back in the early 90s or yeah. you know when when I was um it, it's the same way that you know in 80s Britain, people striked. Now they write a TripAdvisor review or something <laughs> like that. You know, the, the yeah. idea of what you need to do to bring about change. And I think both of them are fairly hands-on active. Yeah. But it's, again, it's a different reason for it, right. um, I, I think, in I, some I, respects. Or, or, or a younger twist. It's generational. Yeah. But I... I I um yeah I I love this thing with Rio um bringing Matteo uh, into this and Absolutely. I think the tension actually will be with Tiago more like I think we're all there thinking that Raul would have the big tension with Tiago it could be Matteo ultimately because mm-hmm. uh, Raul actually tried to say well don't slit your brother's throat yeah um, that's your brother you respect him you know yeah. respect him but also you know go out with love and, and fondness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let me ask you guys this. The, as a, as a, an ending to that Pachuco's mm-hmm. scenario, how did you, how did you feel? Like, I, I, I'm happy with the introduction of Rio. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think it's going to be interesting where it leads. Yeah. Um, I think when I talked about this alt timeline, potentially they may bring the Zoot Suit riots up early. Maybe. They yeah. they may, this may, or they'll do their version of a, an early one or a smaller one. Yeah. Uh, like mini breakouts, mini yeah. riots, like a, a, a riot, if you will. <laughs> yeah, perhaps, perhaps. And one other question that I had about it from, from that as well is, I know Magda is all of these women. Yeah. But... Does that mean she knew Matteo before he arrived there in some way because she'd already seen him at the riots when she was in her Magda persona? Has she earmarked him as being possibly a better incendiary device, I suppose, than than um, Fly Rico is or was when she was using him? You know, it's, it's a couple of those weird questions that we just don't know because we don't see inside the head of Magda inside all of these other characters. You know, we don't have a moment where she comes back to her 
wherever she goes back to her plane of existence and goes, okay, well, today I did this as Alex and I did this as, as Rio and I did this as somebody else and, and this is some, uh, as another one of the characters. You know, we don't get that kind of wrap up at the end of the day. So there's just a moment where she's ta- that moment where she's talking to both of the guys, to Fly Rico and Matteo, where she seems to be pushing the agenda a bit more with Matteo than with Fly Rico, as if she's kind of found her new her new device almost. Yeah. So I'm intrigued to see how yeah. that might play out in the future as well. But I love I love the whole scene. I think this whole uh, section was uh, was definitely my big moment for the episode. Chris, one more big moment to talk about. Do you want to uh, do you want to take us on to your big moment? Sure, let's talk about Zombie Bro. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna, I'm going to speak for 10 minutes just about the Zombie Brother. No. Um, I, I want to talk about a day out at the pier. Mm. I can't do my uh, Popeye. <laughs> uh, that was terrible. Mm-hmm. My God. Uh, anywho, a day out at the pier. This was really fun. This was good because it, it kind of did move the Thiago and Molly storylines further on. Okay. Um, for me. So, um, we, we had kind of, we were questioning, okay, is Molly good? Was she, isn't an act? Things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we do, I, I'm going to jump around the, the over, I'm not going to talk about it in six, in the actual succession mm-hmm. of the story, but we, we, we do learn that she actually probably is good. Whereas it seems to be creepy ass mother. <laughs> Who hold on? Just like, also, I just want to point to like walk into a dark room, light goes on, mm-hmm. says creepy stuff, yeah. turn lights off, again it sit in the dark, and then I'm stays like, sitting in the dark. Yeah. yeah, weird. It is passive aggressive creepiness for <laughs> because, for sure. Like if she, if she really wanted to kind of. Drive at home. She just like gets up and slams out. The- no, no, exactly. I'm gonna go Walk back to yeah. city in the dark. Yeah, and I'm like, uh, that's <laughs> it's, super creepy. It's super creepy, but also like she sends Randolph to follow, uh, to follow uh, Molly for the day, and there's a moment where you see him following them, and he's eating candy floss as he's yeah. watching on. And I don't know why that's also just as creepy to me as yeah. as the mother turning off the light yeah. after she says her, her has her speech and has her moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like how long was she waiting in the dark <laughs> she's just like she's sitting there for like two hours in that thing with just her hand holding the jade waiting she was she there since it was it, light Chris. i loved so it there i did i it was, it was a creepy mother yeah. it's like that uh it was like um it, it was very kathy bates from misery mm. yeah uh, it was that kind of just oh, creepy <laughs> but anyway we do learn that the mother is somewhat crazy like we know she's badged. Like we, we all, we assumed that from her interactions with Michener and mm-hmm. with Tiago. But this kind of equals the point. It's like mother equals bad, Molly equals good. Question mm, maybe, mark. maybe. Um, because she potentially was having an affair with the the husband of the dead family. Mm. Um, and I think that was the interesting bit to see at the end. Where we do get Tiago and Molly spending this day together, growing that relationship to try and escape their lives and just spend mm-hmm. a moment and seeing this blossoming potential relationship that's okay. Again, it's blossoming over the course of like two days that we've seen in or mm-hmm. like an hour in story. Um, but it was good and it, it was nice. And it, like you do see them forget. Mm-hmm the things that they're working on and kind of just become that bubble and stay in that sunset, which, oh my God, that sunset. <laughs> yes. Magnificent but then, 
the breaking of that very quickly because we see Tiago after being told by Mitchell that Molly was potentially having an affair, was shacking up with this guy because he has a house somewhere, go sort it out. Mm -hmm. And you see Tiago just in his room with a single tear rolling down as he has gone through this and looks probably like she is having an affair, staring at the Popeye. And the question I have is, do you think they're going to go down that she was having an affair with him and the mother killed him? Because she needs to be virtuous, uh, and that Molly has no idea because she just assumed it was all bad luck, and every boyfriend she's ever had has mis- died mysteriously, and she just assumes it's the way of God, or they've gone to <laughs> a farm upstate, like all puppies. Yeah. Or do you think that there what there is no affair? It's just whatever. Uh, I'll take option three, Chris. Um, oh. Yeah, I think I think Molly knows that her mother's the one that killed Hazlitt. Yeah. Um, because I think that recitation of the Popeye theme tune is there to go, I don't care what you do, you can't get out of my sight, I'm in full control of you. And Molly knows that. Because there's also that moment during the montage uh, where Molly's singing um, Let's Face the Music and Dance. That's, I think, that's almost exactly at the moment that Tiago finds out that she's having the affair because he's reading those files. But there's the moment where her mother, uh, she's in the room uh, crying on the floor and her mother is at the door either praying or singing at her. Something that's that's clearly getting under Molly's skin or clearly scaring Molly as well. So I think my version of what's happening with them and i'm sure we're going to see more of this as the episodes go on but my version of what's happening between molly and her mother is her mother's in full control and molly feels like she should be able to get out of that um she hasn't been able to be successful in the past and she thought this day with tiago was the day that she was able to get out of it but no her mother's there the whole time watching on or at least sending randolph to watch on so uh so close to close to your uh your version of what you think happened as well, Chris. But uh, I just think that there's that extra thing that she finally thinks that even after the Hazlitt murder, she's able to get out, but she can't do that either. So, um, yeah, I, th- I wonder if if the relationship with Hazlitt might have been her what she thought was going to be her previous way out of her mother's control, maybe. Hazlitt was going to take her away from it all kind of thing. Um, it could be that. It could be the abusive mother, ultimately, mm-hmm. that, that kind of idea. You know, like... I'm thinking of the, like, with the recent movie uh, about Tonya Harding, this idea of uh, a mother that is, you know, psychologically, um, rather than necessarily physically abusive. Mm -hmm. Um, and because whatever her mother is doing at the end, whether it's shouting at her, praying at her loudly, Mm -hmm. or singing at her, is, yeah, Molly is not particularly uh, reacting to it well uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I think certainly, yeah, the shade on Molly around the Hazlitts, and I think certainly it's at least because, well, she did know him. She didn't just have that one meal uh, round at uh, the Hazlitts' house that time. Absolutely. But uh, And I think is that why Tiago is having that sort of... Um, emotional moment in his in his own apartment um because you know he does say to uh, michna i still believe that she is good mm-hmm. i don't think for her to still be good again i think one of the great things about the original penny dreadful is it had a lot of gray a lot of shade mm-hmm. so i think there is shade on molly absolutely um yeah. for sure and 
who could blame her trying to get out of the control of her mother uh-huh. by going in with Hazlitt, even though necessarily it could be viewed as a bad thing, given that he was married with two kids. Um, but then, you know, how is uh, Tiago taking this up? So I, I hope he still believes, because it was, the whole thing on the Santa Monica Pier was, it just felt really nice. Mm-hmm. I think uh, you knew it wasn't going to last. Although I found it weird that Tiago did say, you're the second best thing that uh, has happened to me. I, I right. would have slapped him. If, yeah. uh, I, What's, I number been What's number what one? What's number one? And I think the first time we watched this through, we hadn't really caught the importance of something that he talks about and one of his childhood memories of being brought down to the pier by his dad and his mum and 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 sort of the whole family was there yeah they'd saved up enough money to only be able to get down (laughs) there and not go any of the rides but that was the best day of his life and this is the second best day of his life that he's spending with her so it was actually quite nice the second time we watched it the first time was like what was it what was your first good day? Was it when you graduated <laughs> on the police force or what was it? Because that would be the instant question I'd have. But uh, just because we missed the dialogue first time. That was I awesome. just would have slapped him. I'm just, I'm just like, <laughs> Tipped um, him over the edge of the pier. How dare you go swim? Um, no, I. so I, I think potentially what they may be doing is setting up that uh, Hazlitt was going to get them was going to free her, was going to like spirit her away. Cause she mm-hmm. does mention in the very, was it the second episode when we meet her uh, and Tiago's kind of interviewing her? Um, uh, Hazlitt was a good man. Yeah. He was a very, very good man. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, from that, I'm starting to think that potentially, yeah, he got her an apartment off books to hide her from the mother, maybe. And that's where, and then we'll find out that. The um, the mother's bodyguard, the the evil bald man, because only bald men are evil, apparently. Um, <laughs> Randolph, yes, Randolph looks like he should be in the remake of uh, of the Adams family. Absolutely. Uh, um, but okay, so look, I, I think I just think I'm interested to see where this storyline is going. So you think they haven't had an affair? Hazlitt just did this to protect Molly, bought the place for her to get her out of... Uh, potentially. Out of I think that could yes, be where it's going. Yeah, okay. yeah. Because I do think... I, I agree, uh, because I, I think the world weariness, the cynicism, ultimately, mm-hmm. of um, Michener is what's leading him down the road of saying, mm-hmm. you know, she's not the girl that you thought she was. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. because... I know it, it was her. She 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 was a for him, she was disrupting the family of the Hazlitts rather than necessarily thinking that Hazlitt was trying to do it to protect very good. um uh Molly. Very good, very yeah. good. Yeah, that's a that's a very interesting point. Look at me, looking at the same clues that both detectives looked at and coming to the same conclusion, and the conclusion may be wrong. <laughs> da, 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 da. So, gentlemen, that wraps up my point. I think mm-hmm. it's time to move into Notas Delum with us, the Notes of the Dead. Um, I, I want to bring one up very quickly. I'm going to jump okay. right in. Based on the name alone, we ended our last episode discussing the future of a particular brother mm-hmm. and what would it mean and what about the mother's heart and 
None of that got answered because he was alive and well, kicking in bed, having a nice moment with his other brother and then both mm-hmm. brothers. Uh, I say what now? <laughs> well, he doesn't remember what happened, so uh, that potentially might come back in future, so uh, that he that that may return to him uh, in future. But yeah, he didn't die, which is one thing that we we weren't clear about last time that we we should have probably said he was on his deathbed, and they, they were told the machine was going to have to be turned off. But he was cured back out of the bed by the end of the last episode. This time, he's back in his bed resting. Um, so either it's something they're going to keep for later, which I really hope they go back and explore um yeah the possibility that she's made a deal with a devil to uh to get her son back uh, i i hope that's going to be going to be seen in a later episode because we really didn't get much of rail here other than he has respect for tiago and there is that moment where tiago asks him is he okay he just takes his hand and looks in his eyes and kind of says to him i it, well it seems like he's saying to him i understand what you did um, because of the explanation that Mateo gave him, that he was shooting all around him um, and Tiago shot him. So there's not much in the dialogue, but to me it looked like he was saying, I understand why you shot me. So that might have just put to bed the uh, tension between the two of them. I yeah. thought it was just, look, I have no heartbeat. I had exactly, <laughs> I had exactly the same uh, thing as well. I was like, because he, he says, how are you doing? And then there's no words spoken. Mm-hmm. It's literally, I've not got a heartbeat. <laughs> Definitely. And I, I think, I think that would be awesome from the supernatural side of it. And right. given the idea of zombies in that, you know, Central American cult, you know, things like the day of the dead, dead mm-hmm. coming back to life and all that with, mm-hmm. um, that idea to me would, I think be absolutely awesome and i suppose it is early days for raul so maybe um i I would like to see him kind of go all supernatural here that for sure um i think that would be a great way of uh introducing the supernatural uh into the show other than just magda and santa muerta Mm -hmm. um that maybe he has something like his 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 mama and he can channel this because um of of her spirituality that's almost been passed generationally down maybe um so and it's skipped one with tiago i suppose but like no, it's um, generation. the idea of having a zombie <laughs> brother would be great and uh, the eye the bloodshot eye makeup was awesome yeah. i i did think he looked really good as someone who's just come out of intensive care it was really good, though, was that the the uh, the eye makeup that that was on uh, Adam Rodriguez, who plays uh, who plays Raúl. Uh, there was a, a, a bit of joking back and forth on on Twitter between uh, the two brothers, between Adam Rodriguez and uh, and Jonathan Knives, who plays uh, plays Mateo, where uh, he hadn't seen him since they'd filmed the scene at the end of uh, of the first episode. And uh, Adam Rodriguez was saying that he walked into the crane that was being that was controlling the camera and was taken off effectively with uh, with a, a bruised eye. And the next time that uh, that the kids saw him, that Jonathan and I saw him, he was all bandaged up with this uh, with this beautiful prosthetic in his in his eye or the or the, uh, <laughs> the um, contact lens in his eye showing the the bloody eye. And he thought that that was da- that was the damage oh, from God. the camera. <laughs> 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 oh, that was very funny. But, uh, but there you go. Um, I, yes, I just do bro. really hope that they. They, that they explore this further with the, at least in the next episode of the thing because basically we didn't see Mama and mm-hmm. her heart should have been 
jumping out of her chest. It just, <laughs> unless they're going to tur- turn Zombie Bro into a really cool spin-off, like 80s, like, it's like, Zombie Bro! I think the structure of this so far has been kind of every other one where they pick things back up. Yeah. Um, it, it dare I say it, it's almost like a, a dance uh, where there's a diff, different rhythm. Um, almost and, interpretive, uh, if you will. <laughs> no. Like a high school musical? No, nothing no, like high not school like musical. Um, but I, I think that seems how um, yeah. it, it's playing. So I'm hoping we get to see Mama and Raoul a bit more uh, next episode for sure. Yeah. Um I think it's because you want to get that juiciness um, and to see it. And I think uh, you have the the episode where they don't address it, but you get the juicy dance uh, at uh, at the Crimson Cats. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, it may be a, another few. So I think it's just how the story has been uh, woven through at, at the moment. So, um, yeah, so. But we'll see. Never know. I could all be wrong by uh, the next episode, of course. Yeah, we only saw Maria Vega for a quick moment in this episode where she mentions about the party that she's going to be working uh, for the Crafts, which is the one point that we didn't mention in this episode, Dr. Craft going to visit Elsa uh, in in her home. Um, That's another another, uh, interesting scene between the two. Again, it's this idea that we know that Elsa isn't a real person and there is... No such thing as her husband, Mr. Branson. He doesn't exist. So these things that she's creating, these stories that she's creating to uh, to bring in Dr. Kraft and try and get him convinced of the things he needs to do, which is effectively she's saying that her son, Frank, is being bullied by Jews in the local school. Uh, therefore, she needs to be introduced to Dr. Kraft's other German Nazi friends. Um, so she's getting her way uh, by by convincing uh, him that this is what he needs to do but we get a kiss between the two of them or at least uh, Dr. Kraft kisses her and she pushes him away saying uh, not in Mr. Branson's house um, so an interesting moment between the two of them um, there that's obviously going to play out in the over the next couple of episodes uh, between those two characters there's definitely a, a vampire line from her uh, where she does send him on his way and then says to, says to uh, Dr. Kraft we would very much want to come into your home on Sunday if we're invited, basically, which is kind of like, that really struck me as a, yeah, a vampire thing to say. <laughs> now that we're invited to your home, I can go to your home now kind of thing. You go to public places, but you can't go to other places unless you're invited, maybe. Yeah, that that got, that really got, that stuck out to me like a sore thumb. And I was like, oh. But I also did want to say, yeah, it, it's you thought you were going to get no German accent this whole episode. Uh, yeah, but yeah, no, right at the end, right at the notes of the dead. I practice <laughs> oh, my accent my and it comes goodness. right in there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, oh, this just felt like this was, it's just moving that story along, which is fine. Mm-hmm. I didn't fully understand the connection on this one. She wants to be introduced to the other Nazi friends. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, she knows the Nazis because of the councilman. Or are we gonna uh, get? Are we gonna get a yeah. scene where it's it's Mrs. Kraft plus Alex plus her son, and like they're, they're they're like it's gonna be three elements of them all talking together because it's just gonna be a room full of other Germans and Nazis. <laughs> and I'm like, I want to know what the end game on this Doctor Kraft storyline right. or where that's going because that's the the disconnect. I can't see it. So I don't think Dr. Kraft has any connection at all to Goss and Kurt. I think Dr. Kraft is a fascist who believes in Nazism, 
but I don't think he has any connection to the Third Reich. I don't think he's that connected. I think he believes it's a political party that's making a political statement from the home country uh, into America. You know what I mean? I don't yeah. think he's directly connected to those Germans. I think he's connected to other people who felt disenfranchised as immigrants coming to America, and they've set up this group. Because remember, his speech in the park was quite polite. It was a it was a fun speech about how we should all protect ourselves and put America first. Um, it wasn't about joining up with the Germans and and going to war against the Europeans. It was about sticking to ourselves and living by good morals and not getting in, involved in fights outside of America. It, it's it's another form of of I suppose race relations mm-hmm. and also racism. In that, as an immigrant, they want you know they they. They have come together, uh, to live, um, and that's what he's doing. And he is also being prompted by the Nazis because, um, that's what they also did. They played on people's fears. Um, and so we're saying he's part of this, uh, American German bunt. So it's a different kind of form. I don't think he's at the level where he's connecting in with her Goss, um, and the Gestapo. But that's not to say that they wouldn't be actively promoting it. You know, we hear from from Goss talking about they'll they'll fund through these charities to uh, Councilman Townsend. Um, he's just another face of it, yeah. um, and in a sense, he is a bought up member of the Nazi Party. If he's throwing his is waving his swastika around, mm-hmm. it, it's just maybe he's taking uh, different elements uh, of there, or maybe he's a full in bought in member, uh, but. I, I would think if he knew Alex, then and through the councilman, he would realize that Eliza was someone different. So Alex, I don't think really would be involved in 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 the German part of it at all. Yeah. Um, but I think that if for somehow she was involved and she knew Doctor Kraft, then Elsa would be like. He would have pointed that out. Yeah. Okay. That you look like a friend. Yeah. Well, I would hope so. Yeah. Um, I think. Yeah. Look, remember, it's, they're very surreptitious meetings between yeah. the two members, between Goss and uh, and um, Councilman Townsman. Nobody's supposed to know about those. They're hap- they're happening behind closed doors, kind of thing. So, uh, I don't think they're going over to a kid's tenth birthday party on, on Sunday <laughs> to meet up with uh, meet up with Elsa. Yeah. Well, we'll wait and see. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think uh, I, I spotted the the bus uh, service that came to the the stop where Molly and Tiago uh, reconnected uh, was Townsend Transportation Incorporated. So I just wondered whether the councilman had some kind of sideline, um, given that he's also head of the transport committee. So it's nice to see that nepotism still uh, holds. Well, goes back that far um, in, in the US. Uh, yeah, well, so went back to the 1400s in the church. Well, exactly, so it's been around for a long time, um, and obviously in, in uh, royal circles, because yeah, for exactly millennia probably nepotism <laughs> uh-huh. all over the place. <laughs> One final note to close out the notes section. That was definitely a reference that uh, Fly Rico made to uh, RuPaul's Drag Race, wasn't it? Just before Matteo goes out on the floor, he goes, "Matteo, don't get up, baby." That's uh, definitely absolutely. a reference to RuPaul saying that just before they do their big dance sequence at the end of Drag Race. I'm sure of it. Definitely. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know. Maybe. I, I, let's just, I know Dead Drop. I know that that's a thing, isn't it? The Death Drop? Dead Drop? Death no? Drop. Yes. That's, yes, there is a Death Drop. Okay. That's I thought it was I a know. Slut that's Drop. That's terrible. There is a Slut Drop. Yes. Oh. 
There's Very lots of drops. drops. What we're yeah. trying to talk about. <laughs> so, gentlemen, I think that's about time. And all of our notes and points. So I think it's about time we wrap this schnizzle up. Or schnitzel, if you will. <laughs> That's much better than schnizzle, yeah. definitely. Because uh, John always comes out with a witty, witty scoring system at the end. <laughs> uh, John, what did you think about this episode of Pang Dreadful City Angels, episode three, Wicked Old World? Yeah, again, I, I really like this. Um, I, I'm liking the build-up. There's a lot of, um, dare I say it, with a, a freeway about to start um, construction. There's a lot of ground to be prepared, I think, for this uh, <laughs> series. Uh, so I, I, I am liking this. I'm really glad that Matteo has, um, you know, seeing his, um, maybe his 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 birth into uh, experiencing uh, a journey in life uh, and who he is to become a lot of self-learning by mm-hmm. by going to um the the bar for a bit of a shindig um i, I kind of yeah it, it felt familiar to um going off and doing a a rave for the first time <laughs> not that i then went off and decided to bring down society or anything uh, no. far from it but nonetheless um yeah i i really liked it i i give this Four crimson cats out of five. Uh, for sure. I thought it was it was good. I loved Nathan Lane. Mm-hmm. Um I absolutely loved his um his slinking around. Um I think he's doing a great job in, in that role. I think Tiago and Molly, it was great to have them uh, sort of brought together and presumably torn apart maybe by this revelation, at least as uh his partner Lewis uh, Michener has put it to him. Hopefully, uh, we get to find that the truth is is more about Hazlitt trying to protect her, like uh, you were saying as well, Chris. And um, I thought her goss. I loved his confrontation with Townsend and Townsend. He's beautifully despicable um, in many <laughs> respects. Like him on that jiggy j- jiggler uh, machine, uh, sort of the. The, the the belt uh, sort of trying to melt away his fat um, and his confrontation with mm-hmm. Councilwoman Beck. I mean, he's kind of awful. Uh, and then you kind of get the realization um, that he's also hiding a lot. Again, it's quite he's it's quite a complex character. Um, he's you know he projects strength, but is being controlled a lot by. Um, by the Nazis with her goss, by Alex in terms of her advice, and in a sense by society by saying that he can't have sex with men. And mm. um, so it, it's really, he, he's kind of, I'm like, ah, oh, Townsend, you've kind of, I don't, I don't want to say I want to root for him, but I'm just like, oh, oh yeah. you could be so much better. Um, he's but, just an a-hole you know, who's in a position of power again. That's all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's he's really bad. Um, and then I think uh, you know with the Crimson Cat. Um, I also quite liked High School Musical, to be honest. So I yeah. was definitely nice. a buy-in uh, for the Crimson Cat. Um, and I was great <laughs> oh, to please see... Please don't leave us with the comparison that we think that that amazing 104-person no, dance sequence that happened in this episode is anything like High School Musical, a <laughs> Disney TV show for kids or movie for kids. It's nothing like that. It was an amazing dance sequence. It was. Not connected I, I'm, I'm totally to a with Disney you. dance sequence. I'm right, totally correct. with you. Um, but at the same time, I loved... 
uh, Rio, a great kind of character. And I, I like that you sort of drew out slightly different from Alex and Elsa, mm-hmm. who are um, maybe a little more subtle. And I like, um, you know, she's certainly a, a fighter. Uh, and maybe she has to be. It's kind of the company she's in. She's in the spirited uh Pachicos, so she mm-hmm. has to convey that. So I, I think Natalie Dormer is doing a wonderful role here as well, along with pretty much all the cast. I thought um, Matteo was great in this, mm-hmm. uh, and Tiago. It, it's good to see him um, coming a bit to the fore. I think sometimes maybe we've not um, covered him as well as possibly we have sort of could have done in some of the episodes. Um, but I, I really enjoyed his stuff. He, he's on our driver Santa. character. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like he, he's the one that's that bridges a lot of stories, it, it, but he's it, but he doesn't have a huge amount of screen time. Exactly, you know, where it's just about him. It's episode. like Ethan Chandler in in season one, exactly. in a sense of Penny Dreadful. So yeah, absolutely uh, defend this. It is four crimson cats out of five. Rawr. Meow. Derek, or rare. Derek, what did you think of this episode? I'm coming to the conclusion with Penny Dreadful City of Angels, you have to watch the episodes twice, or at least I do, because um, I watched the f- watched the first time and I thought the scenes between Tiago and Molly dragged until it came to the point at the end of the episode where the whole setup of him winning the Popeye toy for Molly brought about one of the creepiest moments in the episode <laughs> towards the end, one of the creepiest moments in the season so far. So, um, so definitely the second time watching this episode through was much better than the first and i actually watched it the third time today just before recording as well so um i'm really enjoying these episodes there's so much that i really loved about this one i think this may be my favorite so far um because i enjoyed the introduction to the pachucos which were so well built up by uh, fly rico in episode two uh seeing them on screen and seeing the whole uh, this whole underground society um going on that is bringing in mateo who seems to be from quite a poor background um now seeing this colorful amazing multiculturally diverse uh, segment of society that are kind of hidden behind a curtain uh, in this in this bar in the crimson cat i think is just really cool and really vibrant and I'm, I'm really excited for that side of the story to kick off and loads of other cool stuff you know as i say rio was was fantastic this new uh, character from natalie dormer uh, loved her in this and and really liked the other characters that you're playing then they all felt so distinct that i really keep having to pull myself back and go they're all magda she's just in every scene with all of these other characters because they're all so different all three of these versions uh, of the character are so different so um lots of exciting stuff i think in this episode and i'm, I'm really intrigued about the storyline for the season so far chris what did you think of this episode of penny dreadful city of angels hold on let me just do it through interpretive dance and you may understand what i wanted to say no. Uh, jokes aside, I actually did enjoy this, but not for me. This was, it's a hard 3.5 and it's, it could easily go to a 4 or 4.5 on mm-hmm. a lot of parts, but it just misses the final push over the end. Mm-hmm. So for the Werner von Braun, if they just had have explained the significance a tiny bit more, mm-hmm. uh, let me talk to you about like rockets, blah, 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 or the dance number. One was fine. Rather than have two of them, just had one where Rio comes in midway through, and it, it, it rather than two, it's one and a half. It just it's either extended too long or not extended enough. Right. It's just missing that final like 
it's a solid B. I want you to be an A or an A plus. And you just, every now and again, you're making little things. And I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. Um, like, <laughs> it's correct. just those little things. I'm like, come on. Really, for me, it was just that it was just a small little bit. So I, I'm enjoying the season. I'm enjoying the threads. And I'm wondering if it's the editing or the, just, the, I'm wondering if I rewatch this as a whole later, all mm-hmm. 10 episodes, I'll understand where they're trying to go with some of these things or know, okay, it doesn't matter that they, they haven't talked about zombie bro because <laughs> he, he's going to get his own episode in episode four and they're going to really explain what it's like of having zombie bro versus, uh, the, the Santa Muerte's touched brother. Yeah. Um, like, and then the, like it's those you know those little things it's just they've set up a lot i hope you know it's just mm-hmm. like you're building to this and if it doesn't pay if it pays off it's mm. going to be watchman level like it's going to okay. be really good and i'm going to go you know what that would have been as good as the Ozymandias reveal in watchman and i'm like that paid off so well well done i really appreciate it i'm 3 episodes in i want to see yeah. where they go with 4 I get the feeling that some of it may not, and I, or some of it may just end up being dropped lines and dropped scenes, and I I don't think that's right. Okay, but I, I, I would I, I'll give you a little bit of help, John Logan. After doing the first three seasons of the show, this is his his new show. He's pretty all over it in terms of what he's setting up, uh, at least in those shows, as to where it could end towards the end of the series. So this isn't new to him. Uh, yeah, he's not new to TV. So. I would say a lot of the real questions that you may have will be answered by the end of the season. I don't think he'll drop anything uh, as he didn't really in the past. Uh, some things, of course, as we've said before, uh, were set up in episode one of season one of uh, of Penny Dreadful and didn't get revealed until the final episode of, ep- of season three of Penny Dreadful. <laughs> but uh, but they were all in the plan. So uh, so I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't say things are, aren't going to pay off, but. I would definitely say Penny Dreadful Series 1, Series 2, and Series 3 were better when you watched them the whole way through the second time after you knew everything that was going on because we're still introducing people and still introducing characters. So hopefully that'll be the same. So let's wait and see. Um, But that was our thoughts of this episode of Penny Dreadful City of Angels. I think it's about time we move into some feedback in our section that we like to call Penny for your thoughts. Nice. Just want to start this section just saying thank you to Azazel1970 from over in Australia, uh, who left us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts saying, great review, keep working on the accents. I presume that should have ended with Chris. Yeah! Very <laughs> good. Yeah, very yeah, good. Thank you so much, Azazel. No, keep working on the accents, not yeah. using them, oh, Chris. Okay. Uh, no, thanks very much, Azazel, and thanks to everybody else who reviews us over on Apple Podcasts. Really nice to see some reviews of our overall episodes as well. Um, we also got another email in from Jim Picanesco in Pasadena, California. Chris, do you want to take this one? Jim had this to say, this week's Nuggets. Here's a little info from episode two. They actually were on location in Pasadena. The establishing shot of where Sister Molly performs is the Pasadena Civic Auditorium. The exterior scenes on the steps are there, and I think even the interior shots were filmed there. Mm. The auditorium is most famous for, of course, this is from Wikipedia, but thank you for sending this across, Jim. We appreciate it. Michael Jackson's first performed the moonwalk in public on March 25th, 1983, in front of a live audience at 
you guessed it, the Pasadena Civic Auditorium <laughs> for the taping of a television special, Motown 25, Yesterday, Today, and Forever. Fantastic. Excellent stuff. Jim went on to say, I was a junior in high school. It was a really big deal. Later in life, I attended a distinguished speaker series there, and one of the speakers was, drumroll please, the Iron Lady herself, and I'm not talking about Natalie Dorman, Margaret Thatcher. Yes. <laughs> yes, he also says he might be reaching for a connection, but ah, don't worry, Jim. We got you. Thank you so much for writing in. Uh, we appreciate this. Like I said, these little tidbits yeah, are great. And yeah. Bringing it back to old Maggie T um, always brings a smile to John's face. Um, uh, <laughs> exactly, yes, exactly. it no does. With us, it? Through grimace teeth, <laughs> through clenched teeth, should I say, and a grimace. Uh, no, thanks so much, Jim. Um, it's that's really interesting about the the moonwalk mm. um, with Michael Jackson because uh, yeah. it is a beautiful. Beautiful Hello, Derek, story. Chris, and John. Cool. Hopefully, all three yeah, of you are on uh, this. And even, even this Thatcher. Week. Uh, uh, you know, I really loved this. I'm is Steve, sure and really I really loved this episode of of Painting Dreadful. There was a lot of, of really cool stuff. I watched it once, so I'm going to try to watch it again before I actually send this to you guys. But I wanted to get a couple of initial thoughts out uh, before I watch it for a second time. Even though I knew it was probably going to happen, I loved seeing the switch from is it Alex to Magda there on the street as she's walking away from the councilman I was I was just so I was like oh we're gonna see her change she's gonna change she's gonna change and then she did and then the windows are exploding it was really really cool even though I I, I it was just a cool transition there and then meeting the Rio character was wow uh, just in that whole dance sequence um was just impressive to me and Natalie Dormer is just really killing it in this in this uh this season in this series so i i uh, she's she's just amazing she was already great before but now she's been raised up to another notch um you know seeing the fact that the councilman has some homosexual pro, uh, pro- proclivities is that the right proclivities yeah um is not necessarily surprising but definitely shows what she was talking about when she told the germans i'm gonna have to deal with some stuff uh really really great i can't wait to watch it again i may try to add to this before i send it uh again like i said but uh uh uh, i still think molly is a pure good character i don't think she's evil even though we're kind of getting hints at that now. Okay, Uh, I'll add to this later. Uh, One last quick thing before I send this off. Nathan Lane, I thought, was really, really great in this in this episode. I don't know if I've seen him do like a dramatic type role or, or that type of, uh, of a role before and like a tough guy uh, kind of scene that he had. So, all right, uh, talk to you later. Thanks so much, Steve. Yeah, I think John mentioned earlier on, I know Nathan Lane's done a lot of stage stuff where he's done some serious roles, but I don't think I'd ever seen uh, anything of it until I saw him doing interviews for this show basically where uh, a couple of those things were were shown on screen. So, um, so it's really good getting that take, I suppose, uh, at this stage in his life. He's been around for a very long time on, on screen. So it's great that he's been able to channel it into this role and really, really good. Yeah, thanks uh, so much, Steve. Um, yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think Nathan Lane is just really good, and I actually I like his and Tiago's dynamic. It, mm. It's really kind of um, great. I think Natalie Dormer, yeah, she is 
absolutely uh, hitting this out of the park for sure. Um, I'm really enjoying um, seeing her as Alex, as Elsa, and now uh, as Rio as well as being Magda. I really want to see Magda maybe have to sort of put herself out there and take out a few people. Mm-hmm. And dare I say it, I actually think it might be um, Dr. Kraft's son, Tom, the one with the specs. Um, I think that isn't going to work out well um, when uh, he invites her and uh, her son into uh, the party. Oh, because uh, of the suspicion on the beach. Yeah, for the birthday party. Mm. And uh, dare I say it, the, the guys that uh, uh, Councilman Townsend was uh, servicing, uh, then certainly I think, uh, yes, they could come to a really sticky end mm-hmm. and just blow everything wide open yeah they could they could <laughs> sorry and also just while, while we're uh at some kind of slightly off topic and steve thank you so much for your your voice as always it's fantastic to hear from you each week um mm-hmm. but anyone else just hear duran duran throughout the whole of this episode no her name is Rio, and she dances <laughs> in the sand. No, st- despite those lyrics that you've just uh, spoken, Chris, I still haven't uh, heard that song. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, there oh, is uh, literally a song by Duran Duran called Rio, and it has been burning in my head throughout this song. Those lyrics that you have literally just butchered. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, I, I can I, do it in German. Her I, name I, is Rio, and she dances in the sand. No, no I I have heard those lyrics, uh, just not in that order or at that pitch. Okay, right, <laughs> okay, that makes more sense. Thank you so much, Steve. Uh, I'm I'm going to end my butchering of uh, Duran Duran and um, the German accent uh, by saying thank you so much. Yes. Absolutely. Um, I also want to give a big shout out to Panels to Pixels podcast. I was listening to it this week. The guys are covering uh, The Witcher at the moment, um, which I know we covered uh, in two very long episodes <laughs> at the start of the year. The guys are going week to week on uh, on The Witcher at the moment. So I was listening back on one of their episodes and they gave us a huge shout out on there. Uh, guys, I got to listen to it. It's really nice of them uh, to do that. So go check out Panels to Pixels yeah. podcast with uh, with Mark Kirkman and Steve Brown uh, if you want to hear some more about uh, The Witcher and some of the other wonderful shows that they've covered as well. Yeah, big thanks, Mark and Steve. That's really, really nice of you. Mm-hmm. And, and also to uh, Steve for the feedback and Jim and Azazel. Uh, just thank you so much for the feedback. It's really good to uh, get the penny for your thoughts uh, on all things Penny Dreadful. Uh, it's really good to to hear. And I'm really enjoying the 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 nuggets of information uh, from Pasadena. I think that's a really good stuff because mm-hmm. yeah, I, I had no idea it would be um, the Pasadena Civic Auditorium mm-hmm. uh, and just yeah. Uh, thanks, Jim. Yeah. yeah. Yes, uh, if you want to hear your dulcet tones on our podcast, you can record a clip of yourself on your phone and email it to us, or you can go over to our website at tvpodcastindustries.com and record up to 90 seconds of your thoughts on that week's episodes and send it across. We record every Monday, so obviously watch it on a Sunday, on a Monday morning, get it across to us as soon as you can. We'd love to hear from everyone. You can also go over to facebook.com slash group slash TV podcast industries where we have a spoiler post each and every week where you can leave your thoughts. I'll make sure it's just in the spoiler post so you don't spoil it for anyone else exactly. who didn't get a chance. That's the Definitely. main thing we ask. One thing I have noticed actually is that the episodes are being released on Showtime's website, show.com, um, around 9 a.m. Uh, LA time. 
every Sunday uh, before it airs on the channel. So if you do want to catch it early, make sure you go over to their website and, uh, and you can catch the episode uh, before it airs uh, on, on the main channel. Yes, so keep that in mind. If you cannot do the 10 p.m. Pacific time showing, uh, mm-hmm. make sure you just check it out that morning. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. We hope you stay subscribed to our podcast. And if you enjoy what you hear, why not share it with your friends? Because sharing the podcast is sharing the love. But you can also head over to patreon.com slash TV podcast industry and throw us an old penny, a dollar, anything you got because it helps keeps the servers running, the mics on. There's no lights on if you're watching. There's no video that you can't. It's an audio podcast. But if you can see, I don't have the lights on, not because I don't have electricity, but just because it's still daytime outside. But anyway, <laughs> from one rambling to another, let's move it on to a pub quiz. <laughs> of course, a dreadful pub quiz. But no, not the one you're thinking of. The one and only Penny Dreadful Pub Quiz. John. Thank you, Chris. Yes, this is actually the opposite of a rambling because it is a question. (laughs) 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 Yes, welcome to the Penny Dreadful Pub Quiz, fellow dreaders. Uh, Grab a gimlet, which is two parts gin, one part lime cordial, and head to the Crimson Cat for this week's pub quiz, uh, where you will be in with a chance to receive some Penny Dreadful City of Angels goodies uh, and maybe even some original penny dreadful goodies as well yeah so we'll see what we can find for sure Mm. please send in your answers to all the questions um that we do for this series of city of angels to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com and as i say there will be hopefully some form of penny dreadful goodies Mm -hmm. Uh, so this week's question for episode three wicked old world what investigation gave Captain Van der Hoff sleepless nights when he was detective with the LAPD? Mm. I shall repeat that. What investigation gave Captain Van der Hoff sleepless nights when he was a detective with the LAPD? And dare I say it, I might just add in a bonus point uh, because it is the, the case that he gives in the show. But can you name the real life case mm. from... Uh, Los Angeles as well in that same period that is roughly 1927 1928 yes yes Um, different name uh, from what happened in real life but yes uh, that was a really interesting one I've actually got loads of stuff written down about that but we're not going to talk about it no so (laughs) quick recap of the question what investigation gave Captain Van der Hoff sleepless nights when he was a detective with the LAPD and if you can name the real-life inspiration for the case in the show, uh, you'll get an extra point as well. Very good, very good. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for the question, John, as well. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us for this episode of Penny Dreadful City of Angels. We'll be back next week with episode four, Josefina and the Holy Spirit, which is out on May 17th, 2020. Chris, once again, very happy anniversary to you and Kelly. Thank you very much. Do you think Josephine is uh, uh, like like Swiss cheese? Is it like a Swiss cheese spirit? Holy? <laughs> no. Uh, okay. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a joke from my childhood. Thank you. Uh, that, Thank that, you. That Thank you. <laughs> I think I'm now off to go and shoot myself in the head like Raoul. <laughs> <laughs> Just to get that bad joke out of your mind. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you again next time. Bye. 
Thank you so much, fellow Dreaders, for uh, joining us. Uh, it's great speaking with you. Um, yes, out, out, damn spot uh, for that bad joke there at the end from Chris. Uh, but remember, keep watching, keep listening, and keep praying. Bye. 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 Bye.